Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 6. We're going to start reading in verse number 6. This is the uh, scripture about the first deacons that were made there in the church, and there's seven of them mentioned there in verse number 5. In verse number 6, we're going to read verse 6 down through 15. The Bible says, Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. I want you to notice they were not chosen because they were the most successful businessmen in the town, or they were wealthy, but they had prayed, and God picked those men out. And then the Bible said that they laid their hands on them, and they prayed uh, for them because of the responsibility that they had. Verse 7 says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, the Bible said, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of the Sicilia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Of course, we know why. The Spirit of God was upon him, and he had wisdom, the Bible said there. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and came upon him and caught him, and brought him to the council, and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceases not to spread blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. We have heard him say that just this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that said in the council, looking steadfastly on him, steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Let's go to God in a word of prayer. I will look to, tonight at the stoning of Stephen. Uh, I've read this scripture quite a bit. I don't know I've ever heard it preached on. I'm sure many preachers have, have preached on this as, as days gone by. But I want you to just open your hearts today or to, tonight to this word that, that we're going to preach. Heavenly Father, we're, help, we're thankful today, Lord, that we're able to be here in this service. We're thankful for the singing, Lord, that we've heard uh, tonight. We're thankful for the, the choir, Lord, and all the uh, songs that we, we heard. Thankful for the special Sister Queen gave us, Lord. And Lord, we just ask you tonight as I break the bread of life to these people that you'd help me, Lord. Give me boldness and just give me strength, I pray. And God, I just, I just want to thank you to God for salvation. Lord, I, I thought for years that I had to do it myself. I had to keep it myself. And one day as I was in the Word of God, Scripture after Scripture began to come to me. Danny, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. And since that day, I've been happy. Since that day, I've had joy in my heart that is beyond measure. Joy unspeakable and full of glory, the Bible says. I just want to thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me, what you're doing here in this church. I believe nothing but short of a miracle what is happening here at Liberty Faith Church. I just pray, God, you'd use me tonight. Be with those that are online that are listening, and we pray for those that are here in the auditorium tonight. We just pray for somebody that's lost. God, you deal with their hearts. Help them to realize that they need to be saved soon because we have no promise of tomorrow. We just want to thank you for what you're going to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, Stephen's ministry was much like a mediator, a meter going to the sky. It was brief, brilliant, and bright, powerful, and spectacular. We don't know a lot about him and his background, but his name tells us much. The name Stephen means a victor's crown. I began to think as I looked at the name Stephen and the fact that it meant a victor's crown, that he is going to receive a martyr's crown. He was faithful to his ministry even unto death. This man wasn't a pastor. 
He wasn't an apostle. He was simply a layman who served. He was the first martyr of the Christian church. A lot of times, uh, people that are just laymen, lay people, I don't know why they call them that, but that's what they call them. I guess because they lay around a lot, maybe. I don't know. But, you know, uh, you may think God can't use me or God can't use you. But God can use all of us. All of us have a purpose. And Stephen here had a purpose for being uh, saved and for being a child of God. His death launched the church out into the world to share the good news of salvation. As I look at this man, I I look at him as a spiritual giant. I don't know if God's going to line up the spiritual giants someday in heaven or not. Uh, Some people think, well, it'll probably be some preacher that's gone on to glory. Or maybe it's going to be a preacher that preaches a health and wealth gospel. I really don't think so. Some people think, well, maybe some faith healer. I don't think it'd be a faith healer. I think it'd be somebody who just constantly uh, preaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, doing what God has told them to do, and, and being a success at it, not because of who they are, but because of who Jesus is. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3 says the first qualification for a deacon is that they be grave. Now, the word grave there means serious-minded, not in the grave, all right? This is God's business. And a lot of times I'm afraid we don't take God's business as serious as we should take it. But it's the most important business in the world. Stephen took God's business seriously as we all should. And the qualities of Stephen's life were worth recording in the Bible. So I think they're worth cultivating in each of our lives here tonight. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, he just didn't have the Holy Spirit. Every believer, the Holy Spirit is in you in residence. When you get saved, you don't have to have some second definite work of grace. When you get saved, Jesus moves in when sin moves out. And so I want to tell you this. He's in residence now, but he wants to be president. He wants to call the shots in your life. He wants to be the boss. He doesn't want you to be the boss. It simply means that not only did he have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit had him. There's four words which describe Stephen here in the Bible, and they describe his spirituality. Being spiritual is a lot easier to talk than it is to walk. I've met a lot of people who talk very spiritual, but just scratch a little beneath the surface, and you'll find there's not very much there, Pastor. It's pretty slim, pretty thin. No real devotion, no real commitment to God or the church or the Word of God. Their roots are not very deep. There's no depth at all. All talk and no walk. They're all suit and no underwear. Stephen's spirituality ran deep. He was a very spiritual man, and it manifested in his life in some very tangible ways. I want to share quickly tonight four of these ways that he shared his faith. Number one, he had faith. How does Stephen get faith? The only way any of us can from the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now, this man, a man of faith, tells us three things. First of all, he read his Bible. Secondly, he studied his Bible. And thirdly, he memorized his Bible. Pretty good. You know that? He read the Bible. He studied the Bible. And then the Bible says that he he memorized the Bible. The evidence is found there in chapter number 7. I'm going to read it. But he preached an impromptu sermon without any notes. Completely from memory, in in chapter 7, he gives the entire history of the nation of Israel. From Abraham to Moses, he talks about Egypt and slavery. Then he talks about the wilderness. Then he talks about the promised land. He knew where Abraham was buried when he died and even gave the names of men he bought the burial plot from. And painting in broad, I'm painting in broad strokes here because uh, you can read in chapter 7 the great detail he gave in a lengthy sermon. And I'm sure if you read that sermon there in chapter 7, you'll agree with me that he must have known his Bible. He was a man of the book. No wonder the Bible says he was full of faith. I want to remind you 
that you're not truly spiritual if your Bible is collecting dust from Sunday to Sunday. I don't know when you have picked the time to study the Word of God. I usually do it about midnight to two o'clock in the morning because if I lay very long, my back begins to hurt and I, I get up and I walk around a little bit. I go to the study, I get the Bible, and I open it up and sometimes I'll even post a devotion at that time on the internet. But uh, this man was a man of the book. I want to remind you, pick some time, I don't care if it's early morning, midday, at night, it doesn't matter, pick some time that you're able to get by yourself I know one woman told me one time, she said, Brother Dan, the only way I can read my Bible in private is to go to the bathroom and shut the door. If that's what you got to do, then get in there and slam that door shut. Because you need the Bible. You need the Word of God. And this man was spiritual because of that. He had faith because he didn't let his Bible collect dust from Sunday to Sunday. David said in Psalms 116 and verse 119 and verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. And then he said this, I will not forget thy law. So, David there is talking about getting in the Word of God. And of course, David had a lot to do with uh, part of the Word of God. So we need to read it. And we need to study it. 2 Timothy 2 and verse number 15. And the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Amen. And then you need to memorize it. David said in Psalms 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Amen. So the first thing that Stephen had was faith. And the second thing he had was wisdom. Now verse number 10, we know, we know where he got his faith from the word of God. You say, well, preacher, where did he get his wisdom? Well, he probably went to some uh, university somewhere, uh, some Bible college. No, I don't think so. I believe he got his wisdom from the Spirit of God in prayer. Now notice in James 1 and verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Amen. Do you want wisdom? Get on your knees in prayer. Amen. You see, reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God in prayer go hand in hand. Since he was a man of wisdom, we know he was a man of prayer. A young preacher wanted to start preaching, and for some odd reason, he wanted to preach in a robe. I never have understood that, but uh, this man wanted to preach in a robe. So he went to a tailor, and the tailor took his measurements, and he said this. He, says, I didn't know, he said, I didn't know how long you've been in the ministry. And the young preacher said, well, what's that got to do with anything? He said, well, uh, it has everything to do with everything. He said, I've made a lot of robes. If you're young in the ministry, you think you know it all. Amen. And you walk around with your head held high and your chest out. So I need to make it longer in front and shorter in the back. <laughs> if you've been in a ministry for a while and you know you don't know everything, he said we can make it even in the front, even in the back. But he says if you've been in a ministry a long time, he said you realize you don't know anything. That's about where I am, Pastor. I realize I don't know anything. He said, so you spend most of your time either head bowed in prayer asking for wisdom or on your knees looking for one who could help so you need it shorter in the front and longer in the back. Well, I tell you, I'm not young anymore. I'm not even young looking anymore. But I promise you, if I was young looking, it'd be because of the oil of Olay. Because we've grown up in the ministry all of our lives. And through the years, we've come to know that we haven't come to know anything. I'm kind of like the guy that was traveling through Arkansas one time. Arkansas Highway Patrol pulled him over, stopped him. He said, and he said to the man, he said, you got any ID? And the man replied about what? We need wisdom every day. You need wisdom with your family. You need wisdom with your job, your finances, your work, your ministry, your parents, your health, 
your plans for the future? Lady had a problem with her husband. Her husband come home drunk night after night. Fall into bed and snore so loud that she couldn't get any sleep. She had to get up and go to the other part of the house. She couldn't get him to go to the doctor. He didn't think he had a problem. So finally she went to the doctor and she said, Doc, I need your wisdom. I don't know what to do. Well, he said, I know something that works. He said, I can't tell you why it works, but I know it works. He said, next time he comes home drunk and falls in bed and starts snoring real loud, said, you tie a ribbon around his nose. And so that's what she did. As a matter of fact, he came in that night, just drunk, he couldn't hardly walk, fell into bed, went to sleep, started snoring. She took a blue ribbon and wrapped around his nose. The next morning, she sees him standing in the bathroom looking in the mirror. She said, well, where were you last night? What'd you do? He said, I don't know what I did, but where it was, I won first place. <laughs> do you need wisdom? Well, I do. I need wisdom. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. A man called his doctor out getting an appointment for his Uncle Harvey. And the doctor said, listen, I know your Uncle Harvey. He's a hypochondriac. He just thinks he's sick. Two weeks later, the guy comes back. Same thing. Uncle Harvey. I'm not fooling with Uncle Harvey. He's a hypochondriac. He just thinks he's sick. Well, a couple of weeks later, he ran into the doctor downtown. And the doctor asked him, how's your Uncle Harvey doing? He said, well, we buried him last week. He thinks he's dead. <laughs> now I'm being silly here, okay? Seriously, whatever you're facing, don't try to face it alone. Yeah. I've done that. When my first wife passed away. I couldn't hardly believe it. I mean, we've been married, like, in three months, we've been married 52 years. That's a landmark, you know what, in this day and time. Amen. And I thought, what am I going to do now? I remember a pastor pulled into the house there. She passed away on December the 7th, 10 o'clock that evening. I pulled into the house, and I thought, you know, I don't even like this place anymore. Yeah. I wouldn't care if I think it burned to the ground. I meant every word of it. I got in the house. My dog was still alive, and he met me there. And you know what he always did when I pulled into the garage? He was on my side until I got out. And then he ran around to where Myra used to be, get out. I said, Preston, she's not going to get out of there ever, ever again. And you know what, Reg? I thought I could face it all alone. I found out I couldn't. I found out I needed help from God. I needed wisdom. Where do I go from here? What do I do from here? You say, well, I've never been that way. I never had, had to pray for wisdom. Well, Stephen was a man of faith. He got it from the Bible. He was a man of wisdom. He got it from prayer. Thirdly, he was a man of power. How did he get his power? Well, in verse 8, he tells us that he was a man of purity. The Bible says he gives that spirit of power to them that obey. God has no desire to fill an empty vessel. If I brought a glass out to Ramona... A glass of water and it had a big blowfly floating in it. Do you think she's going to drink that water? Not on your life. She may make me drink it, but she ain't going to drink it. Why? Because of what's in it. And let me tell you, God's not going to put his hand in a filthy glove. Many of us need to repent. There's no power. If a hand is filling the glove, you fill it with dirt, grease, and spiders are allowed to enter, build our web to lay their egg. Don't expect anyone to want to put it on. None of us are perfect, but if we want God's power, we must daily protect our eyes, our ears, and our hearts.
That's salvation. You got that once and for all, all, all over bath. But you still need that daily foot washing as you tread down the dusty, sinful streets of this sinful world. Faith, he got it from the book. Wisdom, he got it through prayer. Power, he got it through purity. And then the fourth thing is grace. Now, the word grace is not mentioned here, but notice there in verse number 15, and all that set in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as had been the face of an angel. What grace am I talking about? Well, the first grace that we need is saving grace. Amen. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace have you saved through faith that not yourselves, it is the gift of God. Stephen had experienced a saving grace. Now the question is, have you experienced saving grace? John Newton wrote the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. He was a drunken slave trader. But one day he came to Christ. That's saving grace. Every born-again child of God that's here in this sanctuary tonight or listening online or in the world that's saved has experienced this saving grace. Then there's sustaining grace, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We need that sustaining grace. You say, I haven't been through a lot in my life. I haven't been through a lot of troubles. Well, good for you. I have. And I need his sustaining grace. It, that's the kind of grace that holds you up during times of trial. During times of sorrow, during times of loss, during times of grief and temptation and stress and pressure. It's a grace that keeps you going when you don't think you can keep going. It's a grace that holds you up when you don't think you can hold up. It's a grace that sets you apart when you're about to come apart. And Stephen had it as he was under fire from the council. In verse 15, he's in a lot of trouble. He's standing before the Sanhedrin and they accuse him of blasphemy. He knows what the penalty is for that. It's death because he knows how they treated Jesus and he knows that this cannot turn out good. It's like the guy who fell from a 30-story building. On the way down, somebody called, called out, how's it going? He said, well, so far, so good, but it can't turn out good. Stephen knew it wouldn't turn out good. Yet he stares at death in the eye. He has the face of an angel. Now, what, what, what's the Bible mean by that? Did he have a halo around him and all this stuff that you see? No, no. I believe he had the peace of God on him. Amen. Even though he was facing death, even though he's going to be put to death, stoned to death, Jesus kept. Jesus didn't keep the storm out of his life, but he gave him peace in the midst of the storm. He, sometimes he calms the storm. Other times he calms a child that's in the storm. One songwriter wrote that he giveth more grace when the burdens go greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To add an affliction, he addeth to mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. The more grace you need, the more grace you get. God never runs out of grace. But then there's dying grace. Have you thought about dying? We all have some kind of a fear of death. It's a natural, healthy aversion. For the child of God, when your time comes, you won't be afraid. It's the grace God gives His children. Psalm 23, David wrote, Yea, thou walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I refer no evil if thou art with me. In Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through 60, I want to read that scripture. It says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Talk about being filled with the devil. When some of them gnash on you with their teeth. The story was told, Brother Van mentioned that that woman was up singing in her son bit her on the leg. He would have had no teeth, baby, my boy. 
I'm serious. I'd have kicked his teeth right out of his head. He wouldn't have bit me but one time. My dad, when he's a, a child, was a biter. And one day, his mom was doing something in the house. I remember her telling me that my dad's name was Archie. She said, Archie, come up to me and laid into me, bit me. Now, maybe some of you have had problems with that to your children. She said, I grabbed him, said, I took his little arm, and I put it in my mouth. She said, I bit it as hard as I could. She said, I brought the blood. Good. She said, you know what? He never bit nobody again. <laughs> Folks, they gnashed upon him with their teeth. What's the Bible say about hell? Weeping, right. wailing, right. and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. These men were filled with the devil. Verse 55, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. That's why they said he had the face of an angel. And saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. They stopped their ears. just like the little kid. I don't want to hear it, Daddy. I don't want to hear it. They stopped up their ears. And ran upon him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid out their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60 says, He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, let not this send to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Who else said that? Jesus did, didn't he? Father, lay not this sin to the charge. As he was closing his eyes in death, as the rocks began to beat him to death, he forgave those that murdered him. You talk about faith. You talk about love. You talk about forgiveness. This man had it. You can see it all over his face. You saw it on the face of Jesus on the cross. In the midst of all the suffering, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he said, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Sometimes it takes grace to accept what God gives. A preacher one time spoke from this text. The atheist stood and said, Why do you follow God? Just look at this story. What did God do for Stephen? And the preacher looked at the atheist and said, He did a lot for Stephen. He gave him the grace to forgive the very men who were killing him. The Bible says there, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. Sleep there is a metaphor for the peace and the grace in a believer's death. You see, Stephen was a man of faith because he was a man of the word. He read, he studied, he memorized just as a price that he had to pay. He had wisdom through prayer, but there was a price to pay. Power through purity, but there was a price to pay. Grace, here's a good part about grace, it's free. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. No price that we can pay. Not us, but Jesus paid the price for our grace. You need more faith? Get into your Bible. I need more faith. I'll raise my hand. Anybody out there need more faith? If you're online, I, even though I can't see your hand, God can. If you need more faith, raise your hand. You need wisdom? Repent of prayerlessness. Ask for it. Ask for wisdom. Need power? Get a divine foot washing at the altar. Maybe, you need, maybe you're in need of sustaining grace in what you're going through. We have a lot of trials and troubles in this life. We all have them. Some have financial troubles. There's more month left than money. Physical troubles. Someone in every family has physical problems. Spiritual troubles. Children not saved or not serving the Lord. If you're not saved here tonight or listening online and you're not saved, you need saving grace. You need the saving grace that only Jesus can give. 
It's easy to get saved. I told somebody asked one time how hard it is to get saved. I said, it's not hard at all. I said, it's easy as ABC. A, acknowledge you're a sinner. Nobody ever got saved that didn't believe he was a sinner. Acknowledge you're a sinner. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And C, come unto him. If you remember ABC, you can be saved, okay? The stoning of Stephen, Stephen gave a reason for the church to go forth to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen went to heaven. The Lord was waiting for him when he got there. He was a great man of God. We don't hear a lot about him. We hear a lot about Paul and Peter and the other disciples. This man was not one of the 12 disciples. He was one of the seven deacons. He wasn't the only deacon that went out and spread the gospel. Philip went up to the land of Samaria and preached the word there, had a great revival there. And come out of there, God called him out of that great revival in Samaria down into the desert there to the Ethiopian eunuch. He led him to the Lord. And the eunuch went back home. And great things happened there uh, with, that, with the conversion of that eunuch. I just want to try to encourage you tonight. I don't know what you go through. You know, I know what I go through. I thought about this stoning and thought about Stephen. What a great man of God that he really was. He's got a martyr's crown. Faithful until death. Even though he's not a pastor or an apostle, he was a simple layman and the first martyr of the Christian church. Won't we stand tonight for just a moment? I just want the Holy Spirit to deal with your heart. You may be here today and you need to be here tonight. You need to be saved. Don't put off salvation. I like that old song, Don't Put Off Salvation Too Long. The nightshades for you may be falling. I preached a, a funeral over at Kabul years ago. And the cemetery was right out back of the church. Matter of fact, the pallbearer just grabbed the, the casket and went out the back door. And just a few feet from the back door was where they buried this man. And um, I led this man to the Lord about a week before he died. But there was another man that was there. He said, Preacher, can I talk to you, man? I said, Yeah. So I talked to him about the Lord and so forth. And, and I realized he, he, he needed to be saved. He didn't know something about salvation. And I talked to him probably for close to an hour. And he said, Well, I'm not, just not ready yet. I said, Well, you won't get saved till you get ready. But I said, there's a song that says don't put off salvation too long. The nightshades for you may be falling. And I use that expression. I'm sure that the man that wrote the song used that expression because what happens at nighttime? You close your shades. You shut your curtains. You don't want people looking in. And I said the nightshades for you may be falling, meaning the time may be short. This man wasn't much more out of his teens. He probably thought, boy, you're stupid. You don't know anything. And about a year later, I held a revival down around Thayer. And this gospel group came and, and uh, sang and done a good job. And after it's over with, this man came up to me and he said, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, I, I guess not. You know, I, we see so many people, we can't remember everybody, or I can't. He said, well, I talked to you in a cemetery down there by Kabul. And he said, something you told me has never left me. He said, you said don't put off salvation too long. The nightshades for you may be falling. He said, I never could get that out of my mind. He said, I thought about that day after day after day after day. He said, a couple of weeks after you talked to me, he said, I went to a little old church not too far from where I live. He said, when the pastor gave the invitation, 
He said, I went forward. He said, gloriously, God saved me. Amen. He said, little did I know that they were trying to get up a gospel group in that church. He said, I've always loved to sing. And he said, they asked me to sing with them. And so I did. And he, say, now, he says, now we go from church to church in revivals and so forth and try to help out churches that's having a revival. I said, God bless you. I didn't recognize him because when I seen him out in the cemetery, he had, my dad called it a sheepdog haircut. And he looked completely different when he was with a singing group. I would have never figured out who he was. Don't put off salvation too long. Amen. If you're here this, tonight and God's touched your heart in any way about your soul, that you need to be saved, let's do it tonight, okay?